ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful for time in your word. We're grateful for the, the satisfaction, the comfort it is. In your son's name, amen. I've been thinking about this for a bit. Um, let me read you the first two passages on the left-hand side. One out of Ephesians, one out of Hebrews. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Ellipsis, because the sentence goes Pauline in length, referring to all the different things we'd come to knowledge of him in. Hebrews 8, 11, quoting Jeremiah. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow or everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I'll be merciful toward their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. I, I mentioned those two things. I want you to know that I think it's a big part of the Christian life, a big part of the new covenant we have with God, the knowledge of God and coming to that knowledge and growing in a knowledge of God. But you know, I've been on a kick lately out of that passage, uh, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. And since in my little playground, where I function daily, you know, in my little easy chair in my library, it's all talk, all the time, all, all, all thinky things, you know, thinking about things and talking about things, and differing with others. I like that. So consequently, you should always be conscious of where, because you like something, you lower your standards of behavior or the quality of what you are, you like a girl, you go, but she's a goddess. Everybody else goes, no, she's not. Get away from her fast. We, we, we confuse ourselves. And when we have a, a preference for knowing things, I would go to a passage like the Ephesians 1 and go, well, you see, my work here is done. I have pursued the knowledge of God without, without stop. It's, it every, all of us are supposed to know the Lord. I know all the verses about, if you get anything, get insight. But I was thinking differently about it this week because I was talking to Jonathan at the C.S. Lewis reading afterwards. And I uh, expressed to him, you know, because he had that usual, you know, I'm a humble seeker of things, and I just didn't see the presence of God as being a necessary element to the blah, blah, blah. And I was, first I thought, then I, then I told him, I said, you know, you've got, you got, you got another problem here. It's not whether you know God, it's what does God know of you. Because we're dealing with a sentience, we're dealing with an agency. We're not dealing with a thing, do you believe in Niagara Falls, We are sometimes conceited in that regard. Going to the romantic question, how often is it you have heard someone say, you're not really considering whether or not she is the will of God for me. And you go, you're, you're not worthy of her. 
don't even bring it up. You're not, you shouldn't even be talking about this. So many of us, when we get into a seeking mode, it is presumed, our, our being in it is presumed to be a good, a right, a, a virtue, whatever it is. The, the stalkers, people who stalk women, are devoutly romantic. They just aren't wanted by the other person. It's amazing how the most romantic things, I don't know if you've ever been stalked. In my youth, I was stalked. Uh, I was uh, thinner. And a Mexican girl in my neighborhood whose cousin had married a friend of mine uh, had decided that she was going to have me. And she would sneak into my house and leave notes in English that she didn't understand because she didn't speak English. But she had someone translate for them on my pillow for me to discover. A little disturbing when you're not interested in somebody to have that interest delivered up to you. So what I was thinking when I was talking to Jonathan was, you know, and I expressed to him, I said, you know, God actually might not be interested in you. That's what your bigger concern is, and not whether you're interested in God. I, you know, that, that's something for me to maybe push at, pursuing God. Because when it comes up, we, we act as if that reverse knowledge is not, the, is not part of the question. You knowing God is important. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Somewhere along the line, it became important to be known. So what I want you to consider this morning is, are you, to what degree, what does he know of you, not to what you know of God? They're not entirely different categories, but it's a vantage, an axis along which you should think. Paul corrects himself in Galatians here for, formerly when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, see that's just like we like to think, I didn't know God, now I know God. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? We, we talk about our knowledge of him, and it's right to do so. Paul does it right here, but then he corrects himself or adjusts he says, you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. So he's describing that something exists in your knowledge exchange. I like romantic illustrations because I'm such a romantic. Have you ever told someone you loved them and they were quiet? What are they supposed to say? I love you too. They're supposed to say, I love you back, right? It's only polite. You feel a little disconcerted when there is not the response. We have to stop and say, 
I've been studying God for X number of years. I know a lot. I know a lot about theological claims, different writers, different claims in history, etc., etc. But you know, what changes it for me is being known by Him. When that which we seek has personhood, there's a will and a valuation that person has. When you love a woman, and you set your sights on her and write poems rhyming spoon with June to try to win her, you have to remember she has a will. If you grew up in evangelicalism, you know how many people have used the, the trick. Ah, oh, I talked to God about this and I believe you're the will of God for me. And it's almost like you don't believe that she could actually determine the will of God for her. Because nothing is more just, you've prayed about it, and you got the burning in your bosom, that she's the will of God, and she goes, no, I don't think you are. And I've prayed about it. No, you can't have prayed about it. We know that when we deal with a pursuit of another being, an agent, there's their will and their valuation back at you. They might not want to know you. I shared with him uh, Wednesday night how I told a guy that the reason God didn't give him the answers he was looking for is he didn't want him to know. Not him as a human being, but him personally. He was the kind of person God didn't want to give information to. We don't realize that God has an opinion of people. Depart from me. I, I didn't know you. You were running around in religious circles doing things that would have impressed all of us. These are the guys that were casting out demons. What did it say? Prophesying, casting out demons, doing many mighty works. If you weren't in that Bible study group, if you didn't go to that church, and the Lord's going, you know, uh, I don't even like these people. You're workers of iniquity. So I want us to think about it. Are you known? What does he think of you? Do you, do you even believe that you can please God? That God's opinion of you is, yes, I love you too. And not merely because I am love. Not merely because I can't resist my own nature of, of, of loving people. But no, you particularly, I like you. We know this distinction, that God's knowledge of you moves it from talk to power. Not your knowledge of him, it's a good thing. He's a mighty agent, he's well worth you studying, you pursuing everything you can know about him. But it's when he knows you that it moves from talk to power because you have got no graces for you. Your knowledge does not make you into something. Acts 15. And after there had been much debate, Peter rose and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 
And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, but cleansed their hearts by faith. He's talking of Cornelius. He said, God worked in these people, and he's the one that knows them. It wasn't that, well, they knew enough about God to join our club without getting the answers wrong on the membership exam. God knows their heart. And, that, and that's where the grace came. When he knew that he knew them, so when they believed actually, I don't have to worry about someone's salvation. God is completely capable of knowing where you're at, knowing whether your faith, and again, I was talking to Jonathan about his faith that he supposedly had when he was little and nothing happened, no spiritual experience. And it's like, okay, I guess God didn't, you weren't convincing. God, God knew you better than you knew you. And uh, too bad. I guess God doesn't like you. you know, the, the, because I want people to realize that they're being measured. We're not whatsoever an atheist or a, an agnostic. They, they, they stand in judgment about whether there is a God. And they never stop to think whether or not God stands in judgment as to whether they are a person or they are an adequate soul, that they are a heart that has something that he wants to know. Now, you notice that in this few verb passages, and we're going to look at this Corinthians passage in a moment, but We want to know, we want to start having, you might say, a theology of the reverse theology. Is there a word for God's opinion of us? Um, what's the, God's anthropology, basically. We have a, man has a theology of God. God has an anthropology about you. Evildoers, people who have got all the religious power, but don't have something. They fail to be known. And the cost is they are cast out. The Galatians passage is we, by drawing near and pursuing God, we come to know him and be known. There is a there is a uh, um, a passage that can go that can occur a debt that can be paid between the right kind of knowledge of him and his knowledge of us. The Acts passage, the success of this. God can, church, Christians and churches can be deceived by your sleight of hand. You can come to the clubhouse, you can dress like the right people, you can talk in the terms that show informed uh, belonging, and we can all believe you're a Christian. 
But God who knows the heart pours out the Spirit. It's very clear that Cornelius had been saved. He cleansed their heart by faith. The Jews said it of Peter's uh, report. He says, so do the Gentiles also. God has granted repentance unto life. So we know that this exchange must happen. We are either creepy stalkers joining a club of creepy stalkers who stalk God and God doesn't want to have any part of them. And they are very religious and they're very knowledgeable. But it's just, it's like having a room full of people who are committed to a particular woman and the woman does not actually like them or even know they exist. Now, the Corinthians passage which is about not stumbling your brother, but we're not talking about that. I wanted to track through the passage with some of the things he says as background to the issue of stumbling somebody else and the why of that stumbling. Because with this in mind, when you say Christianity is filled with people talking it up, we know that power matters. Has Jesus Christ changed you? And it's going to be his knowledge of you that changes you. Because it's his grace that empowers you, not your theology that empowers you. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something when he does not yet know, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And then he says the important thing in verse 3. But if one loves God, one is known by him. You don't know as you ought to know if your knowledge of God is not matched with his knowledge of you. And his knowledge of you is not prompted by your knowledge of him. It is your love for him. If one loves God, one is known by him. And we live in a world where we hear the tales of the stalkers and we think we're hearing great romances because we're hearing such commitment, such declaration of her beauty and the poems written. It's creepy. And we're creepy theologians. We are not in the business of merely knowing him. If we want the power and not the talk, we have to be known. And to get known, we have to love. God, God is looking, you've heard me say this before, that you, you know, the, the Hebrews passage, you must first believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Why is God why is God about being sought? Because if he is sought, not an information about him is sought, but he is sought. If we've turned our face toward him and pursued him, God knows that the creation that he made to be an exchange of love is finally exchanging in love, that someone out there in the darkness 
Cornelius the centurion is a God-fearer. He gives alms and he prays constantly. Enough that God sent an angel to him and said, your alms and your prayers have risen as a memorial before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and get this Simon Peter guy. This guy had pursued the love of God in such a way that the gospel was going to be sent to him. He was going to be, his heart was known. He was known by God. We want to be, we want to be in pursuit of him because we want to be known by him in the path of getting to know him. You will get to know who he is. You'll be able to say things confidently from the scriptures about your God. But if you ever replace being known with knowing, that's where the problem is. Hence, verse 4, eating of food, of food offered to idols. We know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. Okay? Cosmological truth is number one and, and theological truth is number one. This guy is passing his catechism. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are all things and through whom we exist. Paul's proving he's got the catechism down. Saying wonderful things, but actually he's talking kind of negatively, not about those truths, not saying they aren't true. He says, we've got this knowledge. Verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge. But some, being hitherto accustomed to idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. Only take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, look how it describes you, a man of knowledge. At table in an idol's temple, might he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, <coughs> this weak man is destroyed. But you're right! The guy with the knowledge, he knows the truth. He's got the catechism. He knows that there is one God. He knows that this, that, and the other. The food is not changed by being in, an, in a pagan temple. The problem is, we need the power of God, and we need to have loved him and, subsequently, love the brethren. the brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. It says we do not know as we ought to know. We need to move our Christianity from a stalking romance to a love affair where the girl loves us back. Simple. And you've got to say, that's the hard part. All of us can fall in love. There's a lot of attractive people out there. And you're asking me to actually convince them to love me back? Yes. And here with God, yeah, we've spent as people countless centuries studying this God. 
But he says, you do not yet know as you ought to know, because what happens when it's just talk, when it's just your knowledge, and it's not love, either for God or for your brother, you become enemies of one another. Not only are you tribal because you took a position, but now you've got nothing to protect you but going up against the other Christians because they don't agree with you. You do not yet know as you ought to know. And so when it says, we have come to know God, or rather be known by him, that should just have dropped, that should sandbag us. That just, like, oh my gosh, yeah. Because you know, we've got no trouble being interested in the topics that we study about God. We have no trouble being in love with the pretty woman. It's more difficult when you've got to convince the pretty woman to love you. You've got to convince God to know you. Because you could be running around in this institution, pretty impressive. Everybody comes to you for the answers. You got the works. You got the juju. We're supposed to be functioning in the body of Christ as someone for whom knowledge has gone both ways because I have not just studied, I have looked towards, I have turned towards both God and my Christian brother. I have done what was, you might say, good toward God and good towards my brother. If you look back at the creation, we talked about it a couple weeks ago or last week, I'm not sure. Um, when he says, um, and it was good, starting on day three, I think. And on day six, it was, uh, day seven, it was very good. And that got spoiled. And his creation had sin step into it, and we, when we were finally born, stepped into it and sin as well. And then in his salvation, we were set free, we were forgiven from that, for that. And we have the opportunity, as best we can, in this fallen, futile world, to try to bring back, to live in such a way that his good creation is enjoyed. And one of the key elements of a good creation um, is God being in the presence of other other than himself, because it has this possibility of love. It has this possibility of a goodness that is not just self-serving. It's a goodness for someone else. It faces another will, and the other will values you. We've got that opportunity with God to love him, because if you love God, one is known by him. And that's what you're trying to... You say, where's, where's the dipstick? Um, I can remember. I knew where dipsticks go, are in the engine, but we were at a healing service one time that somebody called us out decades ago to anoint a woman with oil. I forget what her sickness was, and uh, she had no oil in the house, and we had brought none. I was sent out to the car in the dark to get some oil out of the engine. 
So, which is fine. You can find it. You can feel around and get the dipstick, you know. And so, in the middle of the dark, no flashlight, I pull the dipstick out, get oil all over my hand to go anoint this woman in the house, the crankcase oil. Very spiritual. The point is not whether I was doing something weird. The point is, it's have you ever taken a floppy metal thing in the dark and thread a hole that big? in the dark, down in the midst of something in the dark. You can't. You, 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 can't, you can't find the hole the dipstick goes in. We need to know where the dipstick is. What the dipstick is measuring. Because until we are loved by God, until, excuse me, until we are known by God, this power thing ain't happening. Until he knows our heart, the grace of God poured out to us, like to Cornelius, he cleansed their hearts by faith as he cleansed your hearts by faith. Because he, he needs to know you. And knowing you is due to your love for him. Not your knowledge of him, that's a good thing, but his knowledge of you based on your love for him. You're going to be coming part of the good creation by his standard of what he made otherness for. He is love. That's how he's defined. God is love. And his good creation made objects for him to love. And those objects could look back at him and either be evildoers of no interest or they can love him. Becoming part of that good creation. One loves God what is known by him. Now, that's a pretty simple idea. It's new, maybe it's a new category in your mind. How am I known by him? Have I measured all the things that need to be right in knowledge for me to pursue? Pursuing knowing him, because you're told to do that, but also pursue being known by him. How do you do that? Now, the second law of the Medes and the Persians, which kind of be changed, is this the sermon never gets shorter. And, and Drew informed me that he and some others were going to storm out at 11.30. It's quarter after, and I'm at, at the end of the passage. Heavens, what shall we do? Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We are eager to know you. We're eager to be pursuing you. Lord, we want to be doing the things in loving you that would get you to pursue a knowledge and evaluation of us. That the power you have in your Holy Spirit, the power that's available in passing from death to life, that you have measured our faith and you have found it good and you have redeemed our souls. We'd ask that you would be judging us in such a way. Knowing us. And that people would say of us as believers, they obviously are known by God. Thank you. In your son's name. Amen.